Let's pray. Dear Lord, we, we thank you for the opportunity to gather around your word. I pray that the words that I believe that you've given me will indeed be from you and that they might be a blessing and that we will increase in our um, the dynamic of our life in you and we will be blessed to be a blessing. And we ask your hand on me now and on all of us as we listen to what you might want to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, yes, the way to one. A while back, some time ago now actually, Graham and I were part of a, um, Graham and I had been in ministry and we were part of a minister's fraternal in our local area. And this, um, there were seven churches, there were Catholics, there were Protestants, there were Pentecostals. And we can honestly say that we were one because we had a genuine concern for each other. And we had combined events for the community at Christmas and Easter. We had a, um, a Christian board of education that funded a chaplain in the local high school. Uh, we did a number of, of uh, things together, including introducing the idea of, of having um, a combined church prayer meeting, which we had every month in, in the different churches. And we'd get 50 to 100 people in those um, gatherings, which was really lovely. So it was all very good. But after a number of years, two new people came to the fraternal, and one was the minister of a new church, and one was a replacement minister in an existing church. And they were very keen to build their corner of the kingdom. But just the way things went, it seemed that they wanted to do it at the expense of everybody else. And that sort of fractured the unity, because now, instead of being one agenda, when we met together, there were three agendas. And after a while, that uh, it affected our capacity to witness to the community in the way that we had been. So it watered down our witness. Now, sadly, um, divisions, splits, and things like that are old news in the church. I mean, it'd be pretty rare if you'd been a Christian for a while and you hadn't heard or been you know, in a situation where that sort of thing had happened. But how can we prevent that sort of thing happening in LifeGate? Because this year we have our theme of one, being one. And we've got this wonderful verse from uh, John 17... Pressing the button and... Is there something magic I haven't done? I haven't turned it on or something? Ah, there we go. Nothing like turning something on to make it work. Um, some people are more technical than others. So here's this verse that we have been already acquainted with. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, being one is a very desirable thing because it releases power. I mean, things get done when you're one. Isn't that a great slogan? But when we think about church history 
and we think about all the dissensions and the divisions and the, uh, the splits and the wars, it seems that Christian unity is fragile. And yet it was Jesus who prayed this prayer. It wasn't just any old run-of-the-mill person who prayed the prayer in John 17. It was Jesus himself. So if you are um, or you've experienced praying for something and then being disappointed that it wasn't answered the way that perhaps you had hoped it would be answered, then understand and know that Jesus is your sympathetic high priest. And it's not God who's to blame. It comes down to other factors. Now, in Nathan's Vision Sunday talk back in in, uh, February, he spoke on the scripture in, in John 17, and he gave three contributors to being one. First one was to love each other. Second one was to be unified around purpose. And the third one was to be one with God. Now, all of those things are vital if you want to become one. But only one is unique to Christians, and it is also the most fragile. Now, it's not number one, love each other, because Jesus said even unbelievers and sinners can love each other, and not that these these people are unbelievers. Fred Hollows from the Fred Hollows Foundation, he's an unbeliever. He was. He's passed away now. The next organization we've got is the Red Crescent. They don't believe in Jesus. And then we've got UNICEF. They don't have faith in, in they're a neutral organization. So sometimes even non-Christians can love better than Christians. So it's not number one. So is it number two, being unified around purpose? Well, that's really good to be unified around purpose, but armies are unified around purpose and businesses are unified around purpose. We've got Virgin Airlines up there, but McDonald's, you know, they're unified around purpose. And political parties are unified around purpose. So it's not that because you don't have to be a Christian to be unified around purpose. So that leaves us with number three, doesn't it? I mean, it's by process of elimination. Being one with God. Now, Christian oneness is unique because it depends on us having a relationship with Jesus. Because only Jesus can introduce us to the Father, as that scripture says. All things, this is Luke 10.22, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So our unity is unique because we must be introduced to God in order to know God, in order to become one with God. And that makes our unity fragile because in learning to know God and to understand his ways, there is a process involved and the process involves a cost and the cost can prove too high for some and often too high for many. So you might be thinking to yourself, well, aren't we made one with God when we accept Jesus as our saviour? And it's true. As soon as you come 
to accept the Lord Jesus as your saviour, you are part of God's family. But the way to one in this prayer of Jesus, which we looked at before, is that the way to one comes from sharing something with Jesus that Jesus and the Father shared with each other. And that is character. Jesus and the Father saw things the same way. They did things the same way. They were motivated the same way. In fact, Jesus said in John 14:9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So he's talking about something that was observable, not talking about his omniscience or omnipresence and all these other grand things, talking about something that could be observed. And it comes down to the fact that we must share God's character in our own lives and as in a community if we want to fulfill this prayer of Jesus, which is that the world might see that he was sent by God. When they see Christ in you, they can understand that he has been sent by God because they see the wonder of his character in your character. Now, of all things, and again, I've forgotten to bring one up with me, but never mind. Our credit card, of which most of you would have one, our credit card can help us see the difference between being one of God's people and one with God. Because our credit card gives us access to a wealth that we don't own. If, you're, if you have a, a, bank credit, you know, a credit card from a bank, you can go down to JB Hi-Fi and you can go and buy that fantastic top-of-the-range sound system and the bank uses its money to pay for it. Isn't that fabulous? <laughs> so good. Except that, of course, you have to pay the bank back. And unless you are very organised and flush with cash, you have to pay them back with interest. Now, we have something given to us by God on credit. And, and you see infin, infinity sign in the... Yeah. Okay, in Romans chapter 4, verse 5, Paul writes that we can have something on credit with God. He says, however, to the one who does not work, and that doesn't mean you're on the dole, it means you don't try to earn your place with God. To the one who doesn't try to earn their place with God, so I read that again, whoever to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited to them as righteousness. Now, righteousness is a rightness that makes us compatible with God. We can, we can get on with him. We can be with him. And it's given to us on credit. And it's not money we're credited with. It's life. Because when you are compatible with God, you have access to the wealth of his life. 
So your credit account with God gives you access to the wealth of God's life and um, you access that account. Well, first of all, you have to activate the account because a credit card is just a piece of plastic until it's activated. So you activate and you access that wealth, that wealth of eternal life, through faith, through believing, through trusting. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, I thought, I, I, you, know, it's, 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 you know, it's a good analogy, credit and everything, but really my salvation is a free gift because I can't pay back God for what he's given me and, in fact, I don't have to. And you are absolutely right. You can't pay for God's righteousness. How can your sin-damaged life pay for the righteousness that God gives to you? How can your life possibly pay for his life? It can't. You know, um, I just wanted to add something there. Ah, yes. The thought is, somebody has to pay. When my I've got one of my kids, and when they, when they were much younger than they are now, when they were 18, they went to Harvey Norman to buy something, and they uh, got it on credit, and because they got the, the thing on credit, AGC, who was a very immoral lender, offered, just sent them, didn't even offer, sent them a credit card for $6,000 which they then, you know, it was a bit like me, sort of the idea of going into JB Hi-Fi and thinking, I can have all this. They went and spent it. But they didn't have the money to pay, nor did they have the 20% interest payment money to pay either. But somebody has to pay. And that action of theirs caused a huge amount of, of stress and problem in our family, and I was very angry with them more than I was with my child. And because the credit, the credit card, this wonderful card that you've been given by God, is actually an interest-only card because somebody's paid the principal. In the end, Graham's dad paid the amount of money that our child owed, because we weren't in a situation where we could pay for it. And that was part of the difficulty. So he paid for it. But someone has paid the principal, that's the money that you actually owe, on the credit account that you have with God. And it's Jesus. Jesus has paid for the what you owe to God. And that's the free gift. Jesus has paid the principal on the card, on that credit account that you have with God. And all you have to do to access it is have faith. So there is actually a credit card out there for everybody. When Jesus died once and for all, that credit account was made available to everybody But until it's activated through faith, you can't have the eternal life. You've got to activate what's being given to you. 
and you access it that way too. See, on the cross, Jesus offered the righteousness of his life as sufficient payment for a debt that you could never, ever pay. And he gave up his life to pay for your life. He gave up his righteousness, or he paid his righteousness for the righteousness that you would receive. So in fact, what Jesus did, he bought the debt. Now you think, oh, that's a bit confusing. But what companies, and this is, I you know, first heard about this idea, because I'm not sort of an economics person, but I heard about this idea when the whole thing about the GFC. Companies buy other companies' debt, and then they have to go and get the money themselves. But Jesus not only paid the principal, he bought the debt. And you think, well, that's still complicated. But I tell you what else is complicated, if you don't understand that, is how in Romans 6, Paul can say, you know, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, or the gift some translations have, of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then over in 1 Corinthians 6 in 19 and 20, he says, you are not your own, you were bought with a price. So, it's sufficient for everybody, but and we now access something that we still don't own, but we have to pay interest as well. So we've got free access to the principal. Jesus has bought the debt. He's not asking you to pay the principal back. It's a free gift. He just wants the interest. And the interest isn't money. The interest is interest. The, regu- the Holy Spirit will regularly come along and seek to see if you are interested in the righteousness that you have on credit. You're interested in God's righteousness. And he'll examine that by asking you to pay over, surrender, give up some area of your life that is incompatible with his. Because righteousness is about compatibility with God. So he wants you to show interest in handing over what is incompatible with God and give it up. Now, it might be an area of selfishness, could be an area of pride, might be sort of something to do with unforgiveness. It doesn't even have to be about sin. It might be that you're just going down a perfectly good path over here and God says, I want you to leave that path and go down this path if you want to be compatible with me because that's where I want you to go. So that might be about a change in direction in your life. And he never asks for more than we can pay, which is great, although sometimes it's more than we expect. Um, And he has to encourage you. It'll cost, you see. If you... When God comes to ask for interest, you know, it's, you can say, oh, well, I just hand over that selfishness or I hand over that, you know, pride or that unforgiveness, no sweat. But we think, but I like keeping that to myself. You know, 
I feel good when I feel better than that person. You know, I, I like, um, I like holding that grudge. That sort of, that, that sort of gives me a sense of power when I feel that I haven't forgiven that person. But there's a cost to letting that go. And it's called dying to self. So, God has introduced a reward system because he knows that, you know, we don't like handing over things. And the reward system is that when you pay interest in God's way of doing things, you get to keep some of the quality of his character as your own possession in your own life. You give up, uns- you give up selfishness and become unselfish. What happens? You start to become compatible with him and experience what it's like to share what the Father and the Son share. You give up some other area, you find that that's another area where you start to understand and experience what the Father and the Son share. So it's paying interest that makes the difference between becoming or or being one of God's family and becoming one with God. So once the principle's paid, and you accept it by faith, you are part of God's family. But if you want to become one with him, you have to share something that Jesus and the Father shares, and that comes through paying interest in his character. Now, thinking about this minister's fraternal that we were in, one time we felt from God that we should have a combined Sunday service, but not an afternoon service, like you'd normally expect to have, we felt that we should have a combined Sunday morning service because there would be a cost. We'd have to put our money where our mouth was because the cost would be the offering. And the morning Sunday offering is the mainstay of the church's finance. You know, without that offering, you know, who's going to pay? How are you going to pay the rent? How are you going to pay the salaries? So... We decided it was going to be an act of faith on our part to put God, put his kingdom first and pay that cost. And the service went ahead and it was great. It was, it was a great testimony. It really inspired Christians in our community and it inspired people who were outside of the church. The church began to see. I mean, Jesus prayed that our, our unity would result in the world seeing that Christ, that, that the God, that Christ was sent by the Father. And that's what that service ended up doing. It, it showed something that was beautiful to the community. So we paid the cost and we made way for Jesus' prayer to be answered. Now, Christian unity is fragile Because in the modern line, it comes down to how we choose to respond to the Holy Spirit. So each of us here have to decide how we are going to respond when he comes to ask for something from us. And then it depends on how we do that collectively as a church. And often we feel afraid, either individually or collectively, to let go of things that we are used to holding on to, like control, you know. We don't, we, it makes us nervous, but we don't need to be afraid because if we give interest, God will give grace. And he says, and um, I've got it up here. 
This is uh, Paul writing in Romans 8.15. God's spirit doesn't make us slaves who are afraid of him. Instead, we become his children and call him our father. And if you have had an abusive father or a horrible father of some sort, don't put God in the same picture frame as your dad because God is the dad you always wished you had. So in finding our way to one as a church, we've looked at at how things can go wrong, but I think we all want things to go right, don't we? We want, in LifeGate, we want to not only things to go right for the church, but we want to be assured as individuals that we are part of the answer rather than being part of the problem. So I've, there's something here that might help us. I've got a little story here. And uh, some years back now, I attended what was called a, a WOW course for women, a, a women work, work opportunities for women at the TAFE. And basically what it was, it was an introduction to computing in using four Microsoft programs. It was Word, PowerPoint, Excel, and Access, which is a database program. And one day we were gathered around the, um, the teacher's computer, a 16 in the class because they're limited by how many computers there were. We were gathered around the teacher's computer and she was showing us how to do uh, calculations using uh, Excel, using an Excel spreadsheet. And one of the instructions was that we had to um, do something with, an, with the, the thing had to be an integer. And someone in the class said, what's an integer? And the teacher didn't know, and so she said to the class, who knows what an integer is? And nobody put their hand up, so I thought, well, I'll volunteer. And I said, oh, an integer is a whole number, and it comes from the same word, root word as integrity, which means wholeness of behavior. <laughs> and I don't know whether any of you remember Kylie Mole on, on TV, you know, and, and the look... You know, as, as 16, because the teachers include 16 faces, turn around, and the, and the silence. And I thought, well, that was too much information, wasn't it? <laughs> now, I am telling you this story this morning because one is an integer. And there is something about integers that we can understand that will help us comprehend uh, about becoming one, and it will help us to become one with God, it'll help us to become a godly one with each other, and it'll help us to become a witnessing one with the world. So, the first thing, an integer is a whole number, like one and three and five and 72 and 106. An integer is not a fraction. A fraction is a divided number like two-thirds or five-sixths or seven-sixteenths. And sin is like a fraction because sin fractures and divides us. We're no longer whole. We're just part of a number. And unfortunately, hurt people hurt people. So what we need to be open to is... Wholeness. So if one is an integer, then we need to be whole in our soul. And 
God will come and he will target areas that are sin-damaged in your life. Now, there is nobody in this room who has not been damaged by their own sin and the sin of other people. It's all to different degrees, some marginally, some almost to the point of ignoring, but others quite severely. So, we all, to some extent or another, need to be healed. Attitudes healed, experience is healed, all sorts of things. So God will come to you at different times because God has a variable interest rate. Sometimes it just seems to be little. You know, you just go on and nobody, you know, God doesn't seem to be saying anything to you about anything. And other times it's major, you know, there's a hike, 18%, it's terrible. So, yes, so anyhow, when God asks for interest, whatever it is, it won't be more than you can afford, although it might be more than you expect, and pay up, do something. Because, you see, it ties in with our LifeGate values. It ties in with get real and take action. So, next thing. Integers, as I explained to the class, relate to integrity. (laughs) They mean wholeness in behavior. That means acting in a way that is in keeping with God's character. Acting with decency and uprightness and morality and honesty and purity and being faithful and trustworthy. That's what integrity means. Now, Graham has an ancestor. He's interested in doing, um, you know, the Ancestry.com. And, and anyhow, he came across this ancestor. And these were the words on the ancestors, the, the inscription on the grave. It says, my, fa- my husband, our father, his words were sacred, his honor spotless. And I thought, wow, would that be, could that be written about me Could it be written about you? So we all find times, I mean, this is the honest truth of it, we all find times when acting with integrity is difficult. And we may not want to. I mean, things to do with honesty, things, you know, and things that we look at to do with purity and all sorts of things like this, behaviors. And Jesus understands that integrity can be difficult for us. Because he says in John fifteen five, without me, you can do nothing. So if we need him for everything, ask him. If you're challenged with integrity, if your friends are doing one thing, particularly if you're a, a, you know, in, a, in the teenage bracket and your friends are off, you know, say, oh, come on, be part, of the, you know, be part of the team, do this, and you know that it's wrong, you need to ask Jesus for help because Acting with integrity is not always easy. But when you're challenged about it, pay up. Pay up on interest. And this last one, integers have been integrated. Now, I'm not talking about maths differentiation here, just in case there's some mathematical people and think, how is she going to get around that one? But integration is a process where separated people healthily engage together to come together as a common culture. So we've got 
a diverse range of people who, in a healthy way, come and form a, a common culture around a common purpose with and, and acting for the common good. And that's about acting, you know, in love, like Nathan was saying, and with purpose. So we're no longer, when we are integrated, we are no longer fractions with factions. Because it's, fra- it's, it's fractions, fractured people who create factions in the church. Fractures, they're all from the same word, you know. So good. And it ties in with our LifeGate purpose statement to see people live in the freedom and purpose that Jesus offers. That's why we integrate with each other. So one is an integer, and finding our way to one, towards our vision and Jesus' prayer, it's not guaranteed, but you can ask yourself these questions. So we've got a little checklist here. First of all, ask yourself, am I becoming whole in my soul? Am I seeking healing from the effects of sin in my life? Am I developing integrity in my character? Is my behavior lining up with Jesus? And thirdly, you can ask yourself along the slides, am I integrating in my community? Am I healthily engaged? Am I a safe person? Am I healthily engaged with those around me? As I said a moment ago, oneness is not guaranteed. But as we move towards it and towards the answer, being part of the answer to Jesus' prayer, if we do these things, if we become whole, if we develop integrity, if we integrate healthily with our community, we will make our positive contribution to that end. And we will, in fact, become one. We're on our way to one. Now, what I'd like to do is just to bring that checklist up again and for us to think on it for a few minutes before I pray around it. Because some of us are on a low interest rate at the moment and God is not speaking to you. But some of us, God is definitely talking to you on one of these areas. And you have to decide. You see, God will not make you pay interest. It's your choice. But you're not going to share his life if you don't. And you won't help yourself or others to become one with him and be that answer so to Jesus' prayer that the world might see that he's come from the Father if you don't show interest. So think about what God is asking of you and make a decision this morning that you are going to pay up. Just have a couple of more moments. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus to pay for the righteousness that has been given to us, that we can live a life that is compatible with you on credit and also 
in reality. So we pray that you will help us take those steps towards moving, towards wholeness and integrity and healthy integration with others so that we can experience the oneness that you pray that we would have and that in that, Lord, the world would see that our Lord Jesus was sent by you, Father, to redeem us all. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.